I wish I could talk as fast as Corey, and it makes sense, but I can't, so. Woo, this is awesome, isn't it? Man, this has been the best Easter in my entire life, and here's the reason. Well, maybe the second best. The first best was right after I got saved. Uh, Huh? Yeah. I got baptized on Easter. Yeah, it was great. It was frozen. The pond was frozen that morning. <laughs> they had mercy and said, let's wait till this afternoon, which I would have rather had gone ahead because they had us fasting for days before we got... I'm thinking, no, I'll do the cold water because I'm ready. I got to eat something. <laughs> but it, it was awesome. But let me just tell you this. This is why this has been a really awesome Easter for me is this is confession, Okay, anybody want to have a confession time? Um, you know, after I was a Christian for a while, Easter became less of a a thing to me. I guess you could say not not ultimately, but well, yeah, I, I was. It was sort of a uh, rebellion, I think, against traditionalism. You know what I'm saying? And you know. Being around tradition and, and pageantry and all that stuff about Easter, I kind of not, I qu- never quit loving Easter, but I quit celebrating it. Uh, I just sort of made it low key because I didn't really want to, you know, be religious about it. And um, this year, though, I just have spent a lot of time thinking about it in my heart, about what the Lord's done for us. And it's just been inwardly the best for me because because the Lord has done so much for us and so I'm really regretful for not really applauding what God's done more and more worrying about tradition and that kind of thing that's who cares about that right I'm just not going to let things stop me from enjoying what the Lord's done and I tell you if there's any day that the church needs to pause what we've been doing and what we've been thinking about and pause and, and think about this is this is the day because because if, without what Christ, Christ has done for us on the cross his burial his his death his burial his resurrection and his ascension that's really important <laughs> that's like you know if, if Jesus just died and rose from the dead that would be awesome but it wouldn't be the gospel really right it would be like, wow, God's big bad. He can out, he's beat death. But by Him going to heaven and taking us with Him, that's where it becomes the true gospel. Okay? The true gospel is not just He died, He was buried, and He rose. We died with Him. Here's what God did. I'm just going to take this a moment. Here's, here's, what, here's the gospel in a nutshell. Mankind fell. And so God, this is my version, God had to kill off man. And he killed off the whole man from Adam to Jesus and created a new man. When Christ rose from the dead, a new man was created. And it was a man who was both human and God. And we were created in that moment when we accept Christ. We became that new man. And that new man is the man who can have everything that the Bible talks about. Amen? 
That's really the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? So if Jesus didn't go to heaven, well, we wouldn't be sitting in heaven right now with him because that's where we really are. If you're a new creation in Christ, you're in heaven already. You think you're not going to heaven one day. You're there. Your spirit's there. We're just learning how to live from there. Amen? Well, the Lord's good, isn't he? He really is. So one of the bad things I did, I never had good Easter messages. I probably still don't, so that's not going to change. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks, so I'm trying to figure out if I can still do this. I may have forgotten. You know, there's this book that talks about tipping points. Y'all know about that book. You have to do something so many times, you hit this tipping point, and you become an expert or what so-called. I thought, I, I've missed it. I have, had, I have done this for so long, and I never got good at it. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, Lord, if, is this ever going to end for me <laughs> where I don't come to church when I'm going to speak? I just feel wound up tight as a tick. I'm driving over like, okay, calm down. I had to talk myself down. I'm like, just relax and don't be all intense and be relaxed and enjoy the Lord and hopefully God will do something. That's what I'm tipping in. I don't think we're going to ever get over that. At least I hope I don't. But when I'm on the way to church, I kind of wish I was over it. Are you all okay this morning? Come on. All right, so I'm going to talk to you about something here that's really, really amazing. Because I actually have time to do this. Uh, but I'm going to go fast in it, Okay. Because at the end, I want Becky and I to lay hands on everybody everybody in this room and give you an impartation if you would like it. Because this is what's happening with Becky and I. We're having an awakening. And if you come to our house, our house is a house of revival. Okay? But it's, it's an awakening. It's an awakening to what Christ has accomplished for us. It's an awakening to the new creation that we are. It's an awakening to everything that God has ever dreamed for us. And so here's, here, let me just tell you this one other thing. I'm, this is my introduction. One, just one other thing. This is not my message. We have been fooled to think that the wrath of God is some kind of angry thing that's directed at human beings because they sin. And that's really not true. Actually, uh, the wrath of God is another side of the love of God. And this, this is what it is. God was a father who lost his children. And his heart was said this, I am not going to lose my children. I'm going to do what I have to do to get my children back. That was the wrath of God. And if you're a parent, you'll, if you're a dad, if you're a mom, you'll know, and you've ever felt like you were losing your children, that's what wrath is. You, there's this, this no in your heart. There's this thing in your heart that says, I will not let that happen. I will do what's necessary to get my kids back. Even ones who you've lost them into heaven, there's this thing in, in, in you that rises up because that's, that's the love of God rising up that says, no, this cannot happen. That's what the wrath of God is. And so John twenty seventeen was was Jesus said... Uh, Man, it's just amazing how God could give you a scripture over 40 years ago, and it just ringed. That was my first Easter. That's why I love this scripture. Mary, stop clinging to me. That's what he said. Stop clinging to me. But go tell the disciples, I'm going to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. My God and your God. You get this? My Father and your Father. That's what this is all about, is God got his family back. 
That's what Easter is celebrating, that God finally has gotten His family back, and we're His family. And all we had to do is believe that and accept that. And we can step back into what God had for us, what Ephesians 4 says, that God had, had from, from before the world was ever created, He had this, this vision, this dream of family. And for, the, for His people, His children, to be, to set with Him and be a part of His family. Y'all are looking at me badly. Yeah, but that's really the gospel message. And so when you begin to see that, I'm talking about when you really begin to see this, okay? A lot of you are hearing this with your brains. And let me tell you something, that's no good. That will not cause an awakening in your life. But when you start hearing something with your heart, when God, the Holy Spirit, starts revealing this to your heart, that's an awakening. And your life can change. And you can tap into the joy of the Lord at that point. And you can begin to see things that you've seen ever since you were a believer. All of a sudden, they have a whole new light on them. They have a whole new feeling to them. They have a whole new meaning to you. Back to the wrath thing. You know, the wrath thing, the current definition of wrath in the church, it actually came uh, when the church became Romanized. That was a, we have a Roman definition. I've studied this thing. I, I had to know about this. I had to know about this thing. The church, uh, the Roman definition of wrath, the Roman justice system that was created, which was a beautiful system, we actually use their, the Roman system in our courts today, which is amazing in the, in, you know, in the natural court system, but it is not so amazing in the spiritual realm. It's not so amazing when we attribute you know, this justice thing that you, you, that you must be penalized, you must suffer. Anyways, that's where we got wrath from instead of wrath being a part of the love of God and Him fighting for His family. Him, him fighting to get his family back. It's a big difference. Go to a courtroom, you'll see a whole different justice system than you'll see in a family and a father and mother that dearly love their children are fighting for their lives. And that's what the wrath of God is like. All right. Now let me read this, Matthew 27, 45 through 50. I want to talk to you about this. This is so beautiful. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. This is Jesus on the cross. And that was a dark moment, the darkest moment ever. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, I'm just going to speak in tongues. <laughs> that is, I'll speak in English. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever thought about that little phrase? My God, my God. Have you ever really thought about that? That is a difficult phrase right there. That is a very difficult phrase, okay? Because Jesus did say that. Why have you forsaken me? And what you believe about that little phrase is significant, whether you want to admit it or not. If that, what, how you believe, what you believe Jesus was saying there, what you believe what was happening there, is going to have some effect on how you view God and how you relate to God. Okay, so this is a really vital, important scripture here. Uh, And it goes on, it says, Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man's calling for Elijah. And see, they misunderstood what he was saying right away. So that's a real prophetic picture right there of of what I believe that the the Holy Spirit was trying to get us all to know that mankind from here on out, from that moment on, many would misunderstand this word. They would misunderstand this phrase. Of what Jesus was really saying there, what he was really trying to communicate there. This is this is vital. 
And, and uh, it goes on and says, uh, immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Meaning he, he died. He gave, he gave, it, gave up his breath and, and died. So, you know, um, this is the thing. Uh, your view of God, I've said this so many times, but this is so right every time. Your view of God determines how you view everything, starting with yourself, everything. That verse there, that little phrase there that Jesus uh, spoke has a lot to do with how people unconsciously or subconsciously view God. Okay? If you really, if you really think about this, if you really meditate on what the implications of, of this verse... Um, a famous verse in my life is um, Exodus 5.2. Uh, Moses had went to Pharaoh and said, Hey, we need to go out into the wilderness to worship the Lord. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You see that little, you catch that? Who is the Lord? He went on to say, I don't know the Lord. I'm not letting y'all go. And so you see how that determined his decision-making because he said, I don't know who the Lord is. Therefore, I'm not, that's going to affect my actions. That's going to affect my decisions. That's going to affect how I act in life. And so with believers, how we view God is everything. It's everything. And so one of the greatest things that can can happen to us is for God to begin to reveal himself to us. And begin to show us what he is and what, who he's truly like. God has a big problem. The big problem with God is God says us stuff all through the Bible. And his problem is, is he's saying it to people who can't really understand it. Because we can't really understand these things. But he solved the problem. The problem's solved in what we call the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Spirit to reveal things. He's given us this thing called the renewing of our mind. He's given us this thing called repentance, which means changing the way you think. So God has offered solutions to mankind to change the way they think. And so in your Christian life, you, your Christian life should be a succession, a succession of changing the way you think about God and the way you think about the Bible. If you're still thinking about the Bible the way you did years ago, you may be missing something. You may be limited because the, the Bible is completely different than we've ever thought it to be. When we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at how little we know. And we're going to be shocked at how wrong we are in many things. And it's going to be a good shock. It's going to be a beautiful shock. Well, you know, so... Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so I had that. Let me give you this little picture, okay? This is a picture of my pathway on this on this phrase. So back, this is like 2002. I mean, the Lord started revealing. He started giving me a revelation about the Father, about God as a Father, and although I'd always believed. You know, that he was a father. But I never, it, but it was like just belief because that's what Christians believe. It's the right thing. The Bible teaches that. That's a good thing to believe. 
But when God begins to start giving you revelation, it starts shifting things. And so I, I went through this thing for a couple years of where God be, was speaking to me about him being a father. And I was learning about the father for the first time in my life because it had been pretty much the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But now all of a sudden he was talking to me about the father. And he, it was amazing. I mean, I've talked to you all about this over the years about how he broke this orphan's mindset, this orphan thing off in me and freed me to become and start becoming and knowing who I was as a son. Because when you begin to know him as a a father, you begin to know truly who you are. Because he's the father's the creator. And and, and as as I began to know him, it was awesome. It was was beautiful and it was was, life-changing. It still grabs me. It still affects me to this day. And then we had this move of the Lord in the church. We call it the Holy Spirit River because that's how it came into the church. And it was like everything that God had been revealing in me personally, he started doing it in a bigger way and it was a little out of control looking. You know, but it was an acceleration. All of a sudden, it was like he was accelerating all this revelation inside of me. Uh, and it was just like the best time ever in church, okay? <laughs> it was the best time ever. Uh, so it was, it was awesome. And, you know, the main point of it was, was the Father. That was the main thing. He was revealing himself as a Father to us as a congregation and giving us identity as a congregation. And so that was really beautiful. So you had, I had the personal father phase, we had the church phase, and then we had what I call the dark years. <laughs> yeah, the dark years were dark. <laughs> because here's the truth about God, is everything that God does, everything God reveals, has to be tested. It has to be, it has to be uh, tempered. Uh, the, the dross has to burn off of it. The immaturity has to be dealt with. So God allows our revelations. Uh, if you have any revelation of God, it's going to be tested, I hate to tell you. You're going to go through fire. It's, you're going to go through a refinement with it. And, and that's in the middle of that fire, certain person sitting right there named Tony Baker wanted to have a conversation with me about this phrase. And I had shifted my thinking when the Lord was really moving powerfully and revealing the Father to me. I had completely changed my theology, my understanding of that, of that phrase. Completely shifted. But all of a sudden I find myself in this terrible, dark place. Tony's wanting to talk to me about it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling abandoned. So I didn't want to talk to him. Because all of a sudden, what I had believed about it was shook. I wasn't sure at that moment. There was a part of me that said, yes, what you believed was right. But there's another part of me that was shook. And it's like, I don't feel, I feel forsaken. I feel, where in the world's the Father? Why did this happen? What is going on? Where are you? Where are you? I can't feel you. I can't see you. I can't hear you. I feel like I'm in darkness right now. And everything I'm doing, I'm just doing it by faith. I'm doing it by trust. Everything. Have you ever been there? Where you just get up through and, and pray and you go through your day and whatever God has you doing with your life, you're doing it. There's no feelings. There's no emotions. There's no visions. There's nothing. There's just darkness. You're walking through the proverbial valley of the shadow of death. 
And that shadow has cast long upon you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Heck yeah, y'all do. Everybody does if you live around much longer. So I didn't really want to talk to him. I told him some halfway thought, you know. I don't know if you even remember all that, Tony. Kind of. Yeah. So I quit talking to him about it. (laughs) But here's the problem. God didn't quit talking to me about it. Literally, he would not quit talking to me about it. I could be driving down my road, and all of a sudden I'd find my mind drifting to that phrase. And like, what the heck, Lord? What the heck? What, the, what does it mean? I don't like this. I don't like where I'm at. How in the world, you know, I don't blame Jesus for saying that and insinuating that you had forsaken him because I feel the same thing. So, anyways, so I started asking questions. Can I give you a few questions I asked? Okay, here's one of them. Why would the Father and the Holy Spirit withdraw themselves from Jesus in the most important event in human history? That was one of my questions. Why would God do that? This is the most important thing that is ever going to happen. Why would he pull back? Because if he pulled back, the Holy Spirit was going with him. Because Jesus was felt forsaken. He didn't have the Holy Spirit speaking to him at that moment and talking to him. So why would God do that? Would God do that? Would God actually do that? Because I was thinking, maybe he would because I feel like that's what he's done to me. There's, I know lots of people who think that. I know lots of people who believe God's forsaken them. I know lots of people who've acted out that because God didn't show up in their life. They got angry with him. They got disappointed with him. They got discouraged with him. They walked away from him. They became lukewarm or they even fell away because they believed that God was a forsaking God, that he would abandon you because maybe you messed up in life. Maybe you didn't do something right. And he's the kind of God that can't be around sin. He'll turn his back on you when you're not good. That's a question that has to be answered. And see what I'm saying? That's what I said, the way we see God. Do we see him as a God who does that? Because if we see him as that, we'll live that way. And I'm telling you something. I've been, you know, like I, well, I ain't nothing, but I've been a pastor for a long time. I've, I've seen people I've seen a lot of people drift from God. And many times it's because of disappointment. Many times it's because they're hurt in God. Because God didn't do what they thought. And they thought he was an abandoning God ultimately. And he wouldn't be there for them. And I could have thought that at that moment. I just was just too dumb to think that. So... One of the interpretations of that, I've already told you that, uh, that Jesus, that God did abandon Jesus. Uh, that's a very prominent doctrine in what they call the Reformed Church. That for a moment, because God's holy and Jesus was bearing the sins of the world, he had to turn his back on because he couldn't be, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't look at the sin. He couldn't be in the same room as sin. A lot of people believe that. 
A lot of people believe that. So that's, that was the thought. That was the thought. Oh, somewhere I've messed up. Somewhere I've messed up, Lord. I've really messed up because you're gone. You were so rich in my life for years and now you're gone. What did I do wrong? Please tell me. I spent hours asking God there, what have I done that's caused you to pull away from me? That's the wrong thought. That's what Jesus was feeling there. See, ultimately what Jesus was crying out, I, I get all this. he was crying out what we've all cried out. We've all cried out thoughts like that. Where is God? Why is God not helping me? Why has he allowed this? Every human being that walks on this earth even has any thoughts of God will have those kind of questions. They have those kind of feelings. And they are feelings. They're true. They're true feelings. They're real feelings. And they're feelings that have to be addressed. Least we allow those feelings to determine who God is in our eyes. And when we allow those feelings to determine who God is, we will not have a good relationship with Him. We will struggle in our Christian life. We may walk away from like and I know many people who have. Woo, mercy, Lord. Jesus was bearing the sins of the whole world, but the Father was turning away. Does that make a bit of spiritual sense? No. Here's another thought I had. Okay, I'm going to go in the Bible and find places where God turned away from people who sinned and people who did bad things. I couldn't really find it. The only thing, I mean, a couple of things like, uh, yeah, you know, Saul back there when, in the Old Testament. But it didn't really say God turned away from him. God begged him. He sent people that person to person. He just took the assignment away from him. That's what God did. He just took the assignment away from him. But he never really said, oh, I'm done with you, Saul, because you're a bad king. And you didn't do good, so I'm finished with you. That was the closest thing. Well, when I was thinking about man in the garden, when man fell, what, was, what happened when man fell? God goes looking for them. God goes looking for the sinners. Where are you? And, you know, we've said that, you know, that God asks a question because not so he's looking for an answer, but I can look at a father and a father looking for a child. That's the way it was with God. He didn't care about that theology stuff. It was a father looking for his children that they were lost all of a sudden. There's pain in that cry when you really put yourself in this place. You can feel the pain in God's heart over Adam and Eve. Where are you? Why did you go? Of course God knew, but he was a father and he had a father's heart. It's true. So that was the beginning of how God treated sinners. And then in the New Testament, there's this really amazing story. Woo, mercy, Lord. There's an amazing story in Luke 15. It starts out like this. There's these sinners and tax collectors gathered together to listen to Jesus. Tax collectors were considered traitors. They were such a bad, they were like the lowest, they were traitors. They were complete traitors. They were gathered together to hear Jesus talk. This is in Luke 15. And the Pharisees were, of course, being their really spiritual thing. Look at this man. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Jesus was accused of welcoming sinners. He, in those days, when you ate with people, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of being welcomed. It was a sign of, of relationship. And then Jesus tells them a story, not the sinners. He wanted them guys to get this story. And so he starts talking about, well, you know the parables in there, three of them. They're beautiful. They tell you a lot of good information. But the last one was, you know, about the prodigal son, right? And so the father in that story, Jesus was trying to get him to see, this is what the father's really like. He had sons. One of them left and became a bad sinner, a bad one. So bad he was really messed up and he'd come home and he was going to repent and but the father saw him a long ways off. What did he do? Same thing. I said, my son, I've been looking every day for him. Every day I get up and look to see where my, if my son happens to be. And he saw him on the horizon and he ran to him. Didn't give him a chance to repent, by the way. Because a lot of people, well, he, it's because he was... No, he didn't give him a chance to repent. He was already all over him. You could just feel the power in that. The father laying on his son. If you're a father, if you don't feel this, let me hit you. The, the weeping of the father over his son. The weeping of a father who had lost a child and now he had him back. He was holding the, the sin, the sin-scarred clothes, all of it. The father was all over him kissing him on his neck. That's God. That's what Jesus was saying. Well, there was another brother who... I got to hurry up. Boy, some cute babies in here. Especially at the very back. My grandbaby. Ooh, I love babies. Anyways, help me, Lord. I got I to gotta move on. I'm just taking so much time. Anyways, the elder brother was out in the field, came back. Y'all know the story. Got all mad, throw, you know, screaming, throwing stuff. Would not go into the house. What does the father do? He goes to the backyard to get this guy and pleads with him. Don't be this way. Don't be angry. Don't, don't have this kind of attitude. So my whole point is, is God always pursues us. God always, in the Bible, that's the Father that Jesus wanted everybody to know about. That's the Father He wanted us to know. He's going to pursue you. He is not going to reject you. He is not going to separate Himself from you. When we say sin separates us from God, it's on our end. It's in our heart. It's not in His. God's big. He is big. He don't worry about sin. He will hug a sinner. He will touch a sinner. Jesus bore every sin. He was God. He didn't turn away from it. I'm yelling. <laughs> Anyways. Yet, um, this is what I wrote here one day. You write stuff in your little notepad. When you're trying to figure out something from the Lord. Yet, this is the only time throughout the Gospels that Jesus refers to God in the first person as God. Okay? Every other time he, when he was addressing God, he was saying Father. Now, all of a sudden, he's not saying Father, he's saying God. I, well, that means something. Right? That means something. What Jesus says means something. Every other time, now he would mention God, he would say God, but never address him as something else. I don't address Marlon as Sonny. I always address him as Marlon. If I address him as Sonny, he would say, wait a minute, why are you saying Sonny? 
Are you playing or you, you got something from the Lord? It's significant. Because his name is Marlon. His name's Sonny also, right? Yes, Lord. And Jesus did ask the question, Why'd you do this, Lord? I mean, that, you know, what I just said is awesome, but you still had to face. This was spoken. This was, you know, this happened. So what does it mean? All right, let's read John 16. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Oh, y'all okay? This is Easter. We're supposed to be celebrating, not yelling. You can yell and celebrate, right? Oh, mercy, Jesus. Maybe I forgot how to preach. John 16, verse 31 through 32. Hours. This is hours before the cross. This is hours, not days, not weeks, not months, not years. Hours. Hours before he went to the cross. He's talking to his disciples. Hours. This is what he said. Do you now believe? He said a bunch of stuff to him. Then in verse 32. Indeed, the hour's coming. Yes, has now come. That you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. That's what he said. And yet, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I'm not alone. See, right up front, he was letting everybody know. There's some bad stuff fixing to come down. Y'all, y'all gonna, you're going to flake out on me. You're going to quit on me. Yep, that's normal. That's expected. I know you're going to do it. There's no deal here. We'll deal with that later. But I'm going to tell you this. I want you all to know this. I want the whole world to know this. I want everybody who ever reads the Bible, I want everybody to know the Father is going to be with me. The Father's going to be with me. The Father is not going to abandon me. He's going to walk me through this because he, he's a father. And fathers don't abandon their children. Father's love will not allow them to turn their backs on their children at their absolute worst moment. And that's what he was saying. He's going to be with me. So any, all this mess that these people are going to say and all this mess that people down through the ages have said, don't believe it. Let me settle it for you right here and there. Let me just settle it. So, so did Jesus make a mistake? Did the Father abandon Jesus or not? That's the question. Did God the Father abandon Jesus on that cross? We have to know this. We have to know this. You may not want to know it, but there's going to come a day in your life you're going to say, I have to know. I have to know because if he would abandon Jesus, he'll abandon me. I've got to know this. And that's what I was saying. I've got to know this, Lord. I've got to know. Because if, maybe that's why I'm abandoned. Because you're an abandoner. You abandon Jesus, you'll abandon me. Because he's way better than me. Way better. So if anybody's going to get abandoned, he wouldn't. He would be the last one on the list to get abandoned. That's just my little human being thinking. Well, it turns out, this is amazing. It turns out the Bible answers this very clearly what this means. I've said all this to set you up for this. <laughs> so turn to Psalm 22, verse 1. See, what Jesus was doing, he was quoting from a psalm. Okay? He was quoting from a psalm. And many of the people who were there that day, not, maybe not just the, the regular old mutts that were bad people hanging around, you know, enjoying the gore. But the big people, the ones who actually did this, would know exactly what he was talking about because they knew the Bible. This is the Bible that they had. They had Psalms. Now, you know really and truly, here's the way Psalms, many of the Psalms, especially David's Psalms, if you really get a hold of his Psalms. David really is a cool dude in his Psalms because he'll, he says some terrible things in his Psalms. Have you ever read some of the stuff he wrote? 
I mean, a lot of his songs like, good Lord, son, what in the world? We, you need counseling. <laughs> you're depressed. You're, early, you're, you're all wallowing in depression. You're dying. You know, God's not helping you. I mean, you know, what's the deal here? See, what David would do, David expressed the truth what he was going through. But if you you got to keep reading it. you got to get to the end because he walks you from this terrible moment to the end where he declares, yet God didn't leave me. And this psalm happens to be a psalm of victory, not a psalm of defeat that Jesus was quoting, that David prophetically wrote for, about his own experience, but he was speaking into the future about Jesus' experience. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the beginning. Just the same thing. And so Jesus was just basically parroting what David said. Yet not really because he's the one who gave David that. So he had a right to parrot it, right? It was his words. Why are you so far from helping me? Why? Why? And from the words of my groaning, why are you so far? Why aren't you doing something? Y'all get this. Y'all understand this, right? Y'all feel this, right? Y'all know this. We all know this. We've all had this. And so that's, And then if you read on through the Psalms, he starts talking about these bulls of Basham, dogs, all, you know, what, what he was going through his mind on the cross, how he felt, what was happening to him. But I, I, we don't have time. I want to jump down to verse 24. Here's his answer. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor, listen this, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. That was David's conclusion. Jesus was trying to get these people. I'm going to start. I'm going to take you down this, this track with and I'm going to let you see the answer. It's ironic that David, that Jesus would use this particular psalm. Not a song of de- abandonment. Not a song of defeat. But one of victory. That God does indeed hear us in our worst moments. He does hear us. That's what Jesus was trying to tell him. This is not about Elijah. This is not about me being forsaken. It's about God answers our prayers and he would never forsake you. Never. He would never don't believe what anybody would ever tell you. Some, what they call penal substitution theology. If you hear that word, click it off. That's what I do. Uh. He cried and he heard. The father didn't turn his back. Now, God hates sin. It's true. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. And Jesus became a sin offering. But here's the key. He didn't quit being a son. Even though the sins of the whole world were on Jesus, he never quit being a son. Never. Never. It wasn't like, oh, you're no son anymore. So, yeah, I'm going to abandon your hide. No, he always was a son. He was a son who bore it all for us. Bore all our guilt, bore all our shame, bore it all. So he didn't stop being a son. See, that's key. And so if God the Father, this is the way it is. If we would declare that God really did abandon Jesus, even for a moment, we would be saying something to this, to this effect. That on, in that moment, sin was greater than his love. Now, can anybody declare that? Is there any time in history of humanity where sin is bigger than God's love? No. You, you see what I'm saying? 
The sin will never be as big as his love. It will never be as great as his love. It's a tragedy that this is even a thought in the church. It's a tragedy because that's what that implies. It implies that sin and the man who became a sin offering was greater than this love that this father had. I'll tell you, that's not true. I'll tell you that. He really... Sin is never bigger than love. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how big a failure you've been. I don't care how much you've let God down, supposedly. You can't let God down, by the way. Impossible. He's not be let down. So, number five, and I'm getting done here, man. We all have our moments of why, right? That's what I've been saying. Everybody has their moments of why. You know, God doesn't show up. It seems like he doesn't answer your prayer when you most need him to, to, right? Is that your experience? Like, with God, like God, I'm in just a mess. I need you to come through. Lord, please help. Where in the world are you? So we all have had those moments. We've all ha- we have these things that happen in our lives that are just appalling to us. How could God let this happen? Where, you know, the old statement when I was a kid, you'd hear people, well, if God's good, why are these children in Africa starving to death? That was a common thing. <laughs> Y'all, some of you older people have heard that. There may be some new argument out there. You know, and that's, that's the thing. See, we've all had it. We have all had the why. That's why Jesus quoted that. Because here's the key. Jesus entered into our why. Jesus became a man and entered into everything that we would experience, even our darkest moments. Now, that's important. He went into your darkest moments, your darkest hour. God was right there. That's why he did that. He said, I'm going to walk all the way in your shoes, all the way. I'm going to walk to the place where I don't even feel the love of God anymore. Where I feel, feel, let me say word, feel. I feel like God's rejected me. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like he doesn't love me. I'm going to go to that place because that's the darkest place. That's when we're at our darkest hour as Christians, when we feel that. And Jesus says, I'm going there. I'm going to walk 100% in your shoes because I want you to know that I can't be a faithful high priest. I can't be somebody that can reach into your deepest, darkest heart and your deepest, darkest place unless I walk down that place with you. Do y'all get this? This is critical. Because at that moment when that was happening with me, I began to see it. I began to see that God, on that cross, He had walked down there with me. He had walked into my darkness. And He was was, uh, having empathy. He was, what do you, how's that word when, when somebody associates, when you can connect with somebody. What is it called? Empathy. Empathy was, there's something else, you know. It's some crazy word. <laughs> huh? What, what did you say? Is it English? Probably not. It's tongues, dog. <laughs> but, but God, you know, you know, acquainted, that's what a biblical He's acquainted with our sin. He's acquainted with our flesh. He was 100%. See, I want you to hear that. He was 100%. He's 100%. He went 100%. He went all the way in our shoes. I don't care the worst thing that ever happened to you. God says, I walked down there. I knew. This is why he was sweating. I believe he was sweating blood. 
in, in the garden, not necessarily because of the beatings. That was pretty bad. But it was because he knew he was walking into a place for the first time in his existence, he would not have a sense of God's presence. He would not have a sense of being loved. He wouldn't feel like a son. He would feel like a reject. He was going to feel it all. He was going to feel like nothing. He knew that's where he was going to go. But he also knew this. It's a feeling. It's not real. It's not real. It was a feeling. It was an emotion. It was because the world around me was caving in. And that's what it feels like when you're just a human being and the world's caving in. Are y'all following this? And when you start reaching into that, you can start reaching into the Father's heart. You can start reaching into His love when you realize that God Himself walked down here. And those moments when you've cried out to Him and says, Why have you let this happen? Why did you let my child die? Or why did you, where were you when this happened? Why didn't you come through? Where were you? He's saying, I've walked into that place. I know what you feel like. I can relate to your feelings because I went there myself. And I had the same question. I didn't believe it for it's a second in my heart but I know what it feels like I know what it feels like I know your pain I know your suffering I walk down there I walk wherever human being will walk at some point in their life all of us we walk down there Y'all okay? <laughs> so here was another question. But where were you then, Lord? When this, the Bible tells us where God was at. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Paul tells us God was in Christ when he said that. God didn't leave him. He didn't come out of him. He was in him reconciling the world. God was in it. God was in your darkness. God was in your despair. God was in your depression. God was in your lostness. He went all the way in. He didn't go three quarters. He could have. And that means a lot, right? (laughs) So, my last point. Just to make sure you get this. God did not. God the Father did not abandon Jesus. Jesus lost the awareness because he knew we were going to lose the awareness of God at times in our life. And he wanted to feel that with us so he could reach us when we were in that moment. He could reach us when we are in that moment. You hear what I'm saying to you? That he could reach out to us in that moment. Instead of some guy sitting up in an ivory tower, you shouldn't feel that way. No, he said, I know what you feel like. I hurt that way myself. And see, when, when, when that starts, see, that's back to what I said at the beginning. Your view of God changes everything. When you start seeing him like that, it's like, oh, heck yeah, I'm miserable, Lord. I'm so darn miserable, I can't stand it. I feel so alone. But I know I'm not. I know I'm not. I know I'm not abandoned. I know you're not disappointed in me. I know you're not angry with me. I know you've not pulled back from me. God has entered into every one of our whys and cried them out for us. Every one of them. Your deepest why. That's why I tell people, why is good. (laughs) 
If you've got a why on your belly, release it. Because guess who's in it? Guess who's been in it? He's been in it. So one thing I wanted to do, are y'all, I'm, I'm stopping. Yes, Becky, come here. Get off your phone. <laughs> I called her on her phone. Oh, and you know, she'll tell me, oh, I got to put your phone up. <laughs> so this is what I'm feeling. Is this. I'm feeling impartation. I'm thinking, Lord, you know, the last thing I want to do is give this message in words. Did you get it? Yeah. I, I'm just asking that somehow that God would impart to us a revelation of Himself, a revelation of the cross, a revelation of the death that He went to for us, and how much He loves us, and how much He wants to, and He's pursuing us, and He wants to get us back into fellowship with Him and back into communion with Him. They already said it. Some, somebody said it this morning. You may have drifted out. And God said, no, that's okay. Come on, I'm, I'm coming for you. I want you to come back. And really what we had to do is we had to believe it. That's, that's our only requirement. If we begin to believe this. But here's the truth about belief. Belief comes from the Lord. It's the faith of the Son of God. It's God revealing. It's God doing something. It's not us trying to do something to get here. I don't want to do that. That's, that doesn't work. That's what we say. But allowing God... Giving God permission. That's the minimal thing we can do. I give you permission, Lord, to change the way I think about you. I give you permission to let me see you different. I give you permission to take scriptures that probably half the church believes and tell me it doesn't mean what everybody thinks it means and what people preach over and over and lead people astray. I'm willing to believe different and go against the grain. I'm willing not to believe that. And I'm willing to say I was wrong when I believed it. I don't mind saying it. That's all he wants from us. Is to be that way. And then he can reach into your heart and put in there what he wants in there. He can pull out those scriptures, which by the way, the Bible says... I've written my word in your mind and I put them in your heart. And then he says, I've written my word in your heart and I put it in your mind just in case you're confused here. I'm going to cover everything. It's already in there. And he can just reach in there like, hey, let's highlight this one for a while. Let's highlight this one. Let's, let's let this one bug you. When you're driving down the road and you're in darkness, let it bug you for three years. It bugged me for three years, literally. And, and I would listen to what people thought or read, and I was like, no, I can't. That's just what I used to believe in, and I quit believing it. I started believing what I'm believing now, and then I, I was shook on it. I already know that old thing. I studied it. Well, that doesn't matter, does it? All I'm saying is we're changed from glory to glory, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> glory to glory. God brings glory. God brings revelation as we walk this out. And then when you walk down the road a little bit, you turn around and you look back and you see God's hand with you. And you see him doing what he does. And you see that he's faithful and he's true. And he'll do everything because you're a child and he loves you. And he will, and he will get wrathful. But it's wrath that come out of love, knocking things down that are standing that are standing in between you and him. 
That's, that's his beautiful wrath. So I was, did you want to say something? The only thing I read this morning that I thought was good is um, a phrase that says this, that we were found in Christ before we were ever lost in Adam because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Isn't that powerful? It's really, so why don't y'all stand up and Byron wants to pray an impartation prayer, right? I wanted anybody who wanted us to just lay hands on you as you walk by. And the Lord just release this into you and make this a reality in your life. Okay, because I'm going to be honest with you. It don't do you no good for it to be a reality in my life other than just to hear me talk about it. And that's just no good. You've got to hear God talk to you about it. You've got to hear him whisper this into your heart. And when he starts whispering, I'm going to promise you one thing. The Bible becomes a different book, and you're not going to be satisfied with what you thought was true. You're going to say, I want the truth. That's what I want, Lord. I want the truth. I want what you really meant there, Lord. And I want what you meant in these other places, not what I thought you meant. So, anyway, I'm, I'm just emotional. I've been emotional for days just thinking about what the Lord's done for us. Thinking about the Lord rescuing me from that dark place. I'm not, I'm not even talking about my dark life I had before I knew him. I'm talking about my dark time I went through and he rescued me. He come and got me. And he did tell me, it's necessary for you to walk through this. It's necessary for you. But you'll come out. If you'll come with me, you'll come out. You'll come out. So if you're in a dark place today, the Lord wants to bring you out. He wants to bring out. And you know the best thing about the Christian life that God wants people to have is joy. Yeah. That's, that's how you can tell. Like, n- nobody wants that version of Christianity over there because that is a bummed out Christian. There's a joy that comes. Yes. You know where joy comes from? With being with him in relationship. Yes. It's being with him. It's just where it comes from. So just being in relationship, hanging out with him, just being, because the pressure's off us now. We just enter into what Christ has already done. And it's done, it's finished. It is finished. That work is finished. You need to believe that it is a finished work. It is not an all, it's finished. And the only thing that's left for us to do is believe it. And just walk out of here today in a finished work. It is done, it's finished. And now the joy is just being with him because the obstacle's been removed that kept us from him. Say amen. Let him finish it in you. Let him finish it in you. Let that glory to glory thing happen. Walk it out with him. And God will do what he does. Thank you, Lord. So uh, if you want to just come by, we'll just lay hands on you. Yeah, over here. We're going over here.